Today we're going to be talking about uh, hoarders, and we've invited some city folks. Uh, today with us is Tim Bowling with the City of Glendale, Code Compliance Official, and Bob Lozier with City of Phoenix, Code Compliance Manager. Uh, welcome, and thank you for coming. Thanks, Clint. Thanks, Clint. You bet. Um, you know, we've had a lot of folks, uh, both clients, managers. I, I do HOA law, so we have a lot of managers that have asked questions repeatedly over the years and have asked me, uh, what they can do to help with hoarders, animal hoarders, that kind of thing. And, you know, we typically defer to the city first <laughs> because it's better when we defer to the cities. Uh, they're not having to pay my bill. And they had questions, though, of when they should be responding to the association or to the to the city when they shouldn't be. And I uh, I really appreciate you guys spending time to come down and talk to me today and give uh, association a little bit of advice and give us an idea of what goes on at the city level. So uh, I guess let's go ahead and get started. Um, Tim, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? Uh, sure. I worked uh, for the city of Phoenix for 31 years in a variety of positions in neighborhood services. Um, a good portion of that was in uh, neighborhood preservation, which is a code compliance uh, division of that department. Uh, recently, the last two years, I've been over at the city of Glendale as a code compliance official um, enforcing a variety of codes, uh, basically the same codes, nuisance ordinance and, and neighborhood property maintenance, neighborhood preservation, that kind of stuff. Perfect. And Bob, would you mind doing the same? Sure. I've been with the city for city of Phoenix for 21, just over 21 years in some form of code compliance work. I started out in tax enforcement, a very popular area of, of code compliance, and then I moved over to neighborhood services about 13 years ago. I've been in my role as manager for two years and worked closely with Tim in the Preservation Division. Uh, interesting, yeah. Uh, what do you guys like most about what you do? Well, the thing that I like the most about what we do is in public service, we have the ability to directly impact individuals' quality of life. You know, by maintaining neighborhoods and, and cleaning up properties, uh, I think we we do the best we can to retain property values. And, and again, what we do has a direct impact on, on individuals and, and how they like their neighborhood and how they feel about their homes. And I would just e echo what, what Tip said, the, the ability to, to, to affect change in the neighborhood, to improve and preserve neighborhoods, it, it, it's a very rewarding work. Um, I would add that, um, especially on a topic like today, the hoarding topic, we, we work with a lot of other agencies and other city departments to really bring those cases to resolution. So it gives us the opportunity to work as a collaborative team to uh, resolve those issues. To that point of working together city by city as a collaborative, collaborative team, uh, do you as cities find hoarding a problem? Yeah, hoarding is hoarding is a problem. It's very difficult for us to address. The hoarding condition itself is a mental disorder. So. Uh, there are uh, like Mayo Clinic and that they they treat that uh, as best they can. From our end, on from code enforcement, uh, the typical hoarder hoards inside the property, inside the structure, inside the house, and we can only enter or, or enforce our codes inside a house if we're invited. And if you're the hoarder, you're not likely going to invite us inside the house. So we can affect hoarding when it spills out onto the front porch, into the carport, uh, and where it's visible beyond the boundaries of the property. Uh, and then we can address it. So when you get a call from an HOA property manager, for example, it says, hey, we have a hoarder in our community, 
if you drive by and you don't see anything on the outside exterior part of the community, whether it's a planned community or a condominium, you don't do anything. Well, it wouldn't violate our ordinances. Our ordinances are very similar in nature. They'll talk about uh, what's visible um, in front of the property, uh, both Phoenix and Glendale and, and most of the other cities in the valley as well. Do either one of you ever contact the fire department to determine whether there may be a fire code problem with respect or a fire code violation? Well, actually, every once in a while, we'll actually uh, receive a complaint through the fire department, through the police department, based on a public safety call to the to the property. So they'll go in for a, a fire event or you know smoke inhalation, something like that. And while they're they're treating on scene, they'll they'll discover that you know the house is filled with all kinds of materials and that sort of thing. In those cases, um, typically they're reaching out to the human services department or something to see if there's some kind of because it's a typically a mental health issue to see if there's a caseworker or somebody that can advocate and, and work as a go between between the agencies to to try to address those situations. We we've had a couple of cases where there's exterior um, uh, accumulations of trash, debris, you know, just the property is in a general state of disrepair, and and that's an indicator often of what's happening inside. But as Tim stated, most of our laws re regarding the interior of, of a dwelling are more designed for, to protect a, a, a residential rental situation, a tenant situation, as opposed to an owner-occupied situation. Interesting. So looking back, uh, I know, Bob, we talked about, or Tim, I'm sorry, we talked about animal hoarding and some of the horror stories you guys have dealt with. Can you just briefly recap that conversation? Uh, yeah, the animal hoarding uh, is also it's another form of hoarding, and that can really have an impact on your neighbors because, uh, as I was telling you, we had a, a case uh, when I was in Phoenix many years ago where um, there was an individual that um, worked at an animal care facility but had animal hoarding disorder and uh, felt like she was saving these animals, and the neighbors were complaining about the odor and uh, barking sounds and those types of things, and we finally, uh, working with several other agencies, county health department and uh, uh, animal control, uh, were able to get a warrant to go inside the house. And when we did, there was 85 dogs and a, a couple dozen cats. And uh, they were in um, various degrees of uh, deterioration. Um, we, we were able to save about half of the animals. Uh, but we we did cider for the conditions, and there were you know there were rats running all around through the neighborhood. Uh, they were coming from this property. Um, we did uh, she did move from the property, and and we were able to to clean it up. And but it, it took a, a, a lot to to clean up. It was a hazmat team had to go in and, wow. and clean the property out. So it was a really bad situation. That's kind of the extreme of the animal hoarding, but that's not untypical or atypical for uh, an animal hoarder. Bob, have you had the same experience, whether it's an animal hoarder or other hoarder situation where it's just a complete disaster? We have. Um, most often we, we find somebody that, like Tim mentioned, somebody that's associated maybe with a shelter service or kind of came from that kind of perspective and just started accumulating animals out of the... They, they believe in their minds that they're doing these animals a service by collecting them all and keeping them from the other agencies that may just you know dispense with them differently but um, 
in the end it it becomes a problem because they're create they create um, issues for the neighborhood vermin and places you know that there's accumulations of waste that we can deal with on the exterior part of the property so it, it creates a lot of issues so we find it with dogs cats we had a recent case with um, farm animals so it can range um, but it typically it's the domestic pets you know, the cats and, and dogs that we see so thank you I guess let's switch now to things that we can do to help you as a city I know that you guys get lots of complaints from whether it's property managers for HOAs, condominiums, or even just the next door neighbor in a non-HOA community. And I'm sure that there are a lot of them. So what are the things that we can do uh, as a complaining party to help your lives and eliminate maybe those complaints that you're not going to do anything with? Well, uh, for, for us, the best thing to do, I think, is to report it as soon as possible. The, the sooner you report it to us, the sooner we get on it, because we have a notification process that we go through. Uh, we will always uh, give somebody a week or two weeks on our initial notice, and if they don't clean it up, then we're going to give them a final notice that'll that'll give them another week or ten days. So our notification process is going to be three weeks at least, minimum, uh, before we were writing a citation. And even if we write a citation, that in itself doesn't clean the property. It writes a citation for us to go to court, which court's going to be three or four weeks after that. So the sooner you get it to us, the sooner we can address it. Now, having said that, we do ask that you might apply some common sense because we've seen people on a Saturday where they're cleaning out their garage. They put everything out in the front yard, and it's not going to rain that night, so uh, they leave it out overnight. And, and then maybe Sunday they're going to put it back or Monday they're going to put it back. You know, try to apply some common sense. If somebody had never has anything out front and all of a sudden they do, maybe they're doing something. Maybe they're remodeling their house or something like that. And you might want to give that a few days. But if it's you suspect a hoarding situation and it starts to spill out into the front, uh, call it in as soon as possible so we can get on the notification process before it gets to where you can't stand it anymore because then your frustration level is at a real high point and we just don't want you to wait till the frustration level is real high before you give it to us to get on it because then you want something to happen right away and just know that our process is not immediate. Bob, anything to add to that? Well, he makes a very good. Tim makes a very good point. Uh, reporting it as soon as possible. That's going to get us on on the on the trail as soon as possible. You know, we're going to try to make contact and and de make determinations based on that initial inspection on not only what are we what are our observations, but what's maybe operating in in the background. Is it a hoarding situation? I would say hoarding situations are a very small percentage of our accumulations of trash and and storage. But it, it is there, and, and so that kind of puts a premium on trying to start that relationship with that resident to maybe figure out what, our, what direction this, this case is going to take. As Tim said, many of our hoarding situations have existed for a fair amount of time by the time we, we are aware of them. They, they kind of hide it for a long time, then it kind of gets out of control, and then pretty soon their backyard or their side yard's completely full six feet high of the material that they choose to collect. So um, 
as Tim said, the earlier we get involved, the probably the, the less entrenched that behavior is going to be, and it gives us a better um, uh, ability to resolve it. So it's my understanding then that let's say that we uh, somebody makes a timely notification to you. They complain, and they complain when they start seeing it become a problem. You do your drive-by or your inspection. You find there is indeed a, a problem. It's not a huge problem, but on a scale of 1 to 10, you're probably right in the middle. You send out your notification to, hey, you know, you need to clean stuff up, and they do, but they don't do anything to the to the backyard or the uh, to the house. Now, you mentioned, uh, Tim, earlier on, uh, I don't remember if we were on air or off air, but you mentioned that if you can't see stuff from in the backyard from a place of public view, then it's not considered a code violation. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. Our, our ordinance um, in Glendale, items in public view, they have to be visible from somebody standing on a street or sidewalk. That's how our code is written. I believe Phoenix says beyond the boundaries of the property. And and the law, just through trial and error, taking cases to court over the many many years that we've been doing this, Bob and I, uh, if if it's if there's a screened backyard, six foot fence, it's opaque, you can't see through it, wood or or, or block fence, that's considered a private area, and we're not able to address storage that's out in the in the backyard. In very rare cases, we've been able to look over a neighbor's yard. And I'll give you one example we had in uh, northeast Phoenix where the backyard was full of tires. We were able to consider that a fire hazard and a hazardous material. Uh, so uh, the court, we did pursue that one, and we did win that one in court. But if it's uh, personal property, uh, you know, stacks of newspapers, hoarders like to keep newspapers, if it stacks of newspapers on the surface, you might think, gee, that's, you know, that's a fire hazard. Um, we're probably not going to win that in court. On animal hoarders, sometimes we get excess animal waste. Uh, what do you do with that situation in the backyard? Well, in the city of Phoenix, actually, that, that that's um, uh, a situation that used to be handled by our public works department. But within the last couple of years, the neighborhood services department has taken over animal waste accumulation and as far as an enforcement effort. So accumulations within the property or in the surrounding right-of-ways, we address that through our, our typical enforcement process. So that is one way we can address the, basically um, you know, something that's created by animal hoarding. Different code applies, obviously, for animal waste than, uh, than what we've been talking about for hoarding. But you can use them simultaneously because typically an animal hoarder is going to have excess animal waste in the backyard. Yeah, in the city of Phoenix, we address animal waste under um, the codes that also address trash and litter as organic mm -hmm. materials. Yeah, we, we do too in Glendale. Okay. Uh, let's switch gears for a second to condominiums. Uh, I know you guys deal with condominiums occasionally. Now, as we know, condominiums aren't like a single-family residential community where you can just drive by on a street, and you might get occasionally complaints from either an adjoining unit owner with a shared common wall. Uh, whether they're complaining about odor from the next door or a uh, community manager may send in a complaint. Do you treat unit owners in a condominium the same way as you would uh, single-family owners? Well, the condominium situation is, is a little tricky uh, for, for two reasons. One it is it depends on if it's each individual lot or if it's one large parcel that has 100 condominiums on it. If it's one parcel, uh, 
then we have to see the violation from off that parcel. So if you have an interior condominium, uh, we're not going to be able to see a violation, even if it's in, in the front yard of that condominium. So under those circumstances, their only relief is to go through the HOA. Uh, if it is a condominium situation where um, they are individually owned lots uh, and not just the, the interior of the walls, uh, so if the lots are owned by individuals, um, a lot of times we can get on to see what's going on on the exterior of the property. But a, a lot of times the condominiums, uh, they have common ground in front. Um, and if if they're putting stuff out there in that common ground, I mean, we can address that. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's kind of tough with the condominiums. One of the things that always goes through my head with these condominiums is because there's a shared wall, as an HOA attorney, I'm thinking, well, what if it's a bunch of newspapers? That thing's going to go up like a matchbox if it does start. So I'm thinking in my mind, okay, there may be a potential city code violation, um, but from a health and safety standpoint, is there ever an example of when you would step in, even when you do not see something in the in the common elements as you just, just defined, where you do feel like there's a serious health and safety problem with the unit and that it could make potentially a major major fire cause of fire and uh, destroy a whole building full of, full of units what what do, what do you do what is your perspective on that situation it's it's a it's a tough question because if we can't see it then we're we're you know we're not going to be able to pursue it um everything that we pursue is based on our observations as inspection professionals so if if you know there's going to have to be something that bridges the gap of getting us on the property legally as tim just pointed out we have to be a, have the ability to go there under the constitution really to to investigate that so the, as he described they're, they're set up differently so it's more of a case by case basis but if if like i said before if one of our public safety folks is on there and they say look we're going back out there or we have jurisdiction to go back out there and, and invite us along we've done that before but um, oftentimes that just results in more of a discussion uh, you know a kind of a cram session to, to say how are we going to address this how is the HOA can the HOA address this because they probably have the best standing hmm. to do that and then we can support um, from the city perspective as far as education working with that resident let's say you're invited on because of the fire department was out there dealing with an issue or the police department and they see a health and safety problem or a hazard and the fire department goes in and, and if they find a fire hazard they themselves have their own specific areas that take care of internal hoarding issues is that correct well the the, the fire department has a fire code that they can enforce and and they can deem a particular property a fire hazard uh, the one in Northeast Phoenix that I talked about, the fire department worked with us on that one again because it was tires. Uh, but in all honesty, it's got to be really severe for the fire department to issue it a fire hazard. They're the experts in that field as far as whether it's a health and safety hazard along the fire lines. And so they would have to, to determine it's a fire hazard. And we do include them on uh, some of the most extreme cases. Um, uh, again, honestly, it's got to it's got to be really severe for them to. Uh, the ones you include them on an extreme cases, you're involved only because you've been able to see things going on at outside of the unit. 
correct. Right. Yes. Okay. So have you ever seen any situations where uh, you've you've involved the fire department or when they may have cleaned up your concerns on the exterior, but they they didn't do anything with the the interior, or they just moved everything outside inside. So now it's even twice it's twice as bad. I, I can't remember one where we've had that. I I can't either. Typically, it's the other way around. It's it's maybe the the fire department bringing us in as a partner to help collaborate on on a resolution. Um, in the case of fire fire safety. The most common way they're able to address hoarding because there's large accumulations is go go at it from the aspect of safe egress from the from the building. So from your living living room and and bedrooms, if those paths to those exits are being blocked, that's usually, typically their best option to address those. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to the complaint process, so the association's manager or a neighbor in an association uh, makes the complaint. You go out and inspect. What information would you like from us, or not from us, but just from the manager or the neighbor to make your lives easier? Photographs, letters, what is it that, that you like to see to help you in your inspection? Well, photographs help, and at the city of Glendale, it's uh, it's an easy form to fill out if you go online to our code compliance. And even if you go on the city of Glendale webpage, the first dot point there is if you want to file a complaint. Uh, so, it, and you can click on that and fill out the form and send it in. We do require uh, a complainant information, uh, name, phone number, and um, email address, so that. If we go to the property and we don't see what you complained about, I mean, you know, condition may have changed over the overnight, uh, but it, we that way we can contact the complainant and say, look, I, I don't see what you're talking about here. Can you fill me in? Maybe I'm at the wrong house, or maybe something changed. Uh, but if they can, you know, pictures help, but they're certainly not required. Um, just a clear description on, on what you feel the violation is. And, and again, we approach it as an educational opportunity because not everybody knows that codes exist uh, about how you maintain your property. It, we still get people on a daily basis that say, hey, this is my property. I can do whatever I want to. You go away. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, there's city codes that, that uh, require people to maintain their property. So we approach it as an educational opportunity every time and I'm sure the complainants uh, some complainants are very well versed in our codes but uh, some of them you know this not sure if it's a violation or not so just send it in you know with this is in layman's terms just as clear a description as possible on what you feel the violation is and uh, you know get the accurate address and um, and then uh, we'll open a case and take a look anything to add to that Bob well, I think a little a little bit different with the city is that we do allow for anonymous complaints. We take a complaints um, many through email, just through a, a blight mailbox. We do them also traditionally by phone. By e um, there's an online form like tip, very similar to what Glendale. Now on those kind of forms, that you do require um, uh, complainant information, that sort of thing. But again, the the description pictures aren't you know photos aren't necessary, but a good description of where on the property you know we sometimes go out to these very large properties they say oh there's trash on the property, and you go out there and you spend a half an hour trying to locate where on that property it is. So a good description of where it is, what the material they're actually complaining on. Sometimes that information leads to other questions for our intake technicians to 
maybe narrow down or, elim- or or talk about the fact that we don't enforce on on those certain codes like you asked before. So, um, so that's that's really just a, you know a very good description of what their specific complaint is, where it uh, where it is on the property, if the property is vacant or if it's occupied. That's helpful as well. And then from a response perspective, once the complaint is filed, you're usually able to get back to the complainant. In this case, it'd be a property manager within two to three, four weeks. Uh, well, for us, um, we uh, we do get back to the complainant uh, usually after we've done our initial inspection, and and we'll contact them or we'll send them an email and say, hey, I went out and inspected the property on Monday. We left them a notice, gave them till uh, the 15th to clean it up. Just wanted to let you know. Um, so we're usually back uh, within the week, as at least on what our initial uh, response is. Right, and and typically um, we pretty much leave it up to the complainant, especially uh, you know on an anonymous complaint, it's kind of hard to return a, a phone call or, or sure. an email. But we do provide a follow-up email that um, also tells them how they can look at look up the status of the case online if they don't want to call back, or we give them the option to indicate within the case if they want to follow up on it, and and then ju- we just follow the same procedure on our initial initial inspection we'll call back and say this is what we're seeing out there or if we're not seeing it they can sometimes um, provide some cl- you know clarification so for those uh, situations where you do find a violation exists and you send out your notification and it, it let's say it needs to go all the way to a judge ordering them to remove the items from their property what do you what would you say is the average time frame for that to get an actual judge from from the very beginning of your inspection to get to the point where the judge says, hey, you, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, or John Doe, Jane Doe, need to remove this stuff from off the property? Uh, for us, uh, I would say the average is um, three and a half to four months, uh, just because you, you go through the notification process, that in itself is a month. Uh, and then if you write a citation, your court date is going to be three to four weeks out that, so you're at two months right there. Uh, and if you, so then yeah, when you have your hearing, um, if the judge uh, says, yeah, you're you know guilty, you need to clean it up. Uh, we just had a case in Glendale that uh, it took us about uh, six months, and then the judge gave him another two months to clean it up. So I, that's the extreme, um, and that's not always going to be the case, but... Uh, typically, the quickest you're going to get in court is three months, and if they clean it up after that, you know, the judge is usually going to give them a month. You find that's about the same for you? It, it is. Um, you know, for, like Tim mentioned, the the notification process usually takes three or four weeks. By the time we work through that, especially if we're working with them to try to uh, get a resolution, if it goes to citation in Phoenix, we have a about a four week period for arraignment, initial appearance. And then, depending on what happens at arraignment, if they plead not responsible, it's then set for hearing, which is another another 30 days, and now we're at three months already. And the, the case is just then being held so in court. So if the judge determines, yes, they're responsible, but then gives them 30 to 60 days, like Tim mentioned, to bring the property into compliance for sentencing, then all of a sudden we're at, I'm talking four to six months. So it can easily uh, ramp up, and that's why... Uh, it puts such a premium on on working, as Tim mentioned, educating and working w- with the residents to try to get what what we term as voluntary compliance, 
which is at at the point of receiving a notice and bringing the property into compliance during the notice period. Great. Last question for both of you. Here's the. I'm going to give you an example, and you tell me what you think. It's a violation or not. Uh, you get a complainant that says these guys are hoarders, and you drive by and see that there are three cars parked in the driveway, and each of them are packed from the very floor of the car to the very ceiling, r barely a place for the person to sit in the car and drive. But there's nothing outside the door on, in, in the sidewalk, driveway. It's just the all three cars are just piled high. Violation or not? If the vehicles all have, uh, the tires are all aired up and it doesn't look like the, the vehicle is inoperable, I mean, it has to be visibly inoperable for us to cite it. Uh, we could cite the vehicle if it's visibly inoperable. If it's not, then just having it full of stuff is not a violation. That wouldn't be, be the same in Phoenix. Uh, same thing for truck as well? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so even if it's in the bed of a pickup truck. And, and they've got yeah. the braces on the sides that go up 20 feet, and yeah, there's just mattresses and refrigerators. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the code says you can't have outside storage. Well, storage is defined as you know being stored in a place. If it's on a vehicle, it's mobile, and it's not stored technically. Very good. And that's trial and error through court, <laughs> winning and losing. <laughs> yeah, it, certainly, it certainly is. We have you know situations sometimes where somebody says, oh, the, the appliance guy next door, he brings appliances home in his, in his vehicle. However, he's there overnight, and then, and then he's gone. So it's kind of hard to make that case, especially when we apply our zoning ordinance, which is very specific about a length of time to be considered storage. It's very hard to apply that in those situations. So um, it, it's analogous to, you know, the, the repairman that has materials in his vehicle, the AC guy that comes home every night and then he goes back out you know we wouldn't consider that a violation so the appliance guy or the the landscaper that has his lawnmowers in the back that's another common complaint we get it just doesn't rise to the level of a violation for these appliance guys let's say they empty the refrigerator guys they empty the refrigerators they empty the lawnmowers onto the property and they do that they load it back up every morning and they do that consistently do you feel like that gets to the violation point or do you still say no? No, we would have a hard time uh, proving that one. We really would. Yes, I, w I would agree with that. The, where I've seen people get into trouble is if they're they're working, doing like repair work, or accumulating those appliances on their on their property. That can cross over into a violation. But tip most mo in most situations, once you have that conversation, you're not seeing that activity anymore. So. Great. Well, thank you, Tim and Bob, for coming down. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting us, Clint. Yes, thank okay. you for in very good. including us. Thanks.